0: Welcome to University Hill, located on the campus of the University of British Columbia in beautiful Vancouver. Each week we gather on the traditional, ancestral, and unceded territory of the Musqueam people. We worship, sing, pray, and engage with Scripture as we seek to grow in faith and as followers of Jesus. We pray that this podcast of Scripture passages and sermons preached will bless your own faith journey. And of course, you're always welcome to join us on Sunday morning. Check out uhill.net for a Zoom link and more information. Our Gospel reading this morning is from the book of Luke, chapter 19, verses 28 through 40. After he had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he had come near Bethphage and Bethany, at the place called the Mount of Olives, He sent two of the disciples saying, go into the village ahead of you and as you enter it, you will find there tied a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Just say this, the Lord needs it. So those who were sent sent departed and found it as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They said, the Lord needs it, and they brought it to Jesus, and after throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. As he rode along, people kept spreading their cloaks on the road. As he was now approaching the path down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the deeds of power they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord peace in heaven and glory to the highest heaven some of the pharisees in the crowd said to him teacher st- order your disciples to stop he answered i tell you if these were silent the stones would shout out this is the word of the lord
1: thanks be to god let's uh let's pray together let we give you thanks and praise for this day for this beginning of this week that changes everything we thank you uh, for the shouts and the glad songs and We thank you even knowing that those glad songs will turn to shouts of crucify him But for this morning Lord we pray that you would help us to hear this part of the story Well that it would shape our imaginations for your kingdom we pray that the words of my mouth, and the meditations of our hearts and minds would be acceptable in your sight. We pray in the name of Jesus, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. So, one of the things that always gets me about the uh, the Palm Sunday Gospel reading is these two disciples that Jesus sends to steal a donkey. You know, other Gospels uh, tell us that Jesus was just borrowing it, that he planned to bring it back, but Luke doesn't say anything about that. He just tells us that these, Jesus told these disciples to go and take the donkey, and if anyone asks, just tell them that the, the Lord needs it, and that should take care of everything. And maybe I'm the only one, but I think this is hilarious. <laughs> I mean, so, some folks assume that Jesus must have worked something out with the, the donkey's owner beforehand, which which makes sense, but it kind of takes the fun out of it. But there's no mention of that, there's no indication that that happened, and surely Jesus would have given his poor disciples a heads up that everything had been sorted out ahead of time. But no, just go into the village ahead of you and you'll find a colt there that's never been written, untie it and bring it here, and if anyone asks, just tell them the Lord needs it. I'm just not sure what I would do in this situation. (laughs) I think I would have some questions, I I think I would want some assurances that I wasn't going to get arrested for grand theft borough, you know. But what gets me every time is that these disciples just, they just do it. Apparently without hesitation or self-concern, they just do it. They go and tie the donkey and when someone asks what they think they're doing, they say what they were told to say, the Lord needs it, and then off they go. And I do wonder about the folks who asked what they thought they were doing when they were untying the colt. Was the Lord needs it enough? Did they give a knowing nod as if that was the most natural thing in the world? Did they wonder which Lord but didn't have a chance to ask before the pair walked off with their donkey in tow? Did they stand there with their mouths hanging open wondering what happened? doesn't seem to matter to the disciples. Jesus sent them to do a thing and they, they did it. Like he's a king or something. (laughs) And I want to put a pin in that for a second. We're going to come back to these two disciples. And we'll get to the crowds who are singing and dancing about what's going on. But I want to go backwards for a second. Because I think that the setup to Jesus' donkey ride into Jerusalem is actually really important. And it's the story of Zacchaeus. Remember the wee little man who uh, couldn't see Jesus for the crowd. So he climbed a sycamore tree to get a look at this rabbi that everyone's talking about. The one who might be the messiah. And you may remember that that, uh, old Zach was a tax collector, and tax collectors are notoriously corrupt and universally disliked. And when the Gospel writers want to set a scene to let us know that there are characters here that nobody thinks that God should want anything to do with, he tells us that there were sinners and tax collectors there. Sinners and tax collectors. It seems that Zacchaeus was was both. And, of course, the story goes that Jesus stops under the sycamore tree that Zacchaeus has ridiculously perched himself in, and he invites himself for lunch. Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house for lunch today. And with that, the tax collector is changed completely. He's got lots of money. He's going to give half of it to the poor. If he's cheated anyone and here, everyone just laughs because he's a tax collector, so obviously he's going to repay back whatever he's taken four times over. And naturally, the upstanding citizens uh, who've gathered around Jesus, they're a little more doubtful. They start to grumble about his choices and complain that he's having to do with sinners again. But Jesus is having a great time, reminding the crowds that when God gets God's way, there's even hope for someone like this. He says famously, the son of man, the human one, his favorite name for himself. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And you get a sense that folks aren't really impressed with that mission statement. You know, that Jesus can see it on their faces. They aren't sure this is what they want. Not really. I mean, if it means they're going to have to hang out with tax collectors and sinners, maybe they'll wait for another Messiah and try their luck with someone else. They had something else in mind when they came to see the rabbi from Nazareth. They were hoping there would be someone who would be fit to stand up to the Romans who were occupying their country restore Israel to its God-given glory. Not someone who went around collecting the helpless and the hopeless and the lost. So as they're questioning his strategy, he tells them this kind of wretched parable. The parable is a short teaching story. It's an image meant to help us see the world more clearly. And this one's about a rich guy who goes off to this far country to get royal power for himself, Jesus says. He's gone to cut a deal with a a king who's more powerful than he is. And he leaves some servants behind, expecting them to continue to build up him and his vision. And when he comes back, some of them have and some of them haven't. Uh, The parable and it doesn't go all that well for those who haven't the parable finishes with this guy demanding that those who don't want to serve him and recognize him be brought into his presence and slaughtered in front of him (laughs) charming right the word of the lord now now a lot of jesus parables are about what he's about right many begin with the kingdom of god is like this But here he doesn't say that. And if we take this parable as Jesus telling us about his mission, it doesn't make much sense. It's not particularly good news. In fact, it's kind of nauseating. But I I don't think that's what's happening. I think this is Jesus telling the people who are grumbling about Zacchaeus and the company that Jesus keeps, that the the kingdom of God that he's on about and where the lost get the pride of place... I think he's making it clear that if they don't want to get in on what he's doing, that's fine. But they're going to get what they're used to. Which is exactly the kind of kingdom in the parable. Now, the the crowds would surely have recognized, not Jesus, but Herod in the parable. King Herod, the puppet king of Israel, who went off to Rome to consolidate his power, to get more power. And with Rome's backing, he'd been brutal. Right? He was neurotic about power. He was... Perfectly happy to kill, even his own family, to keep control. And I think Jesus is telling the crowds that they don't have to get in on the kingdom he's establishing, which is weird and sometimes uncomfortable and unfamiliar, but the other option is the one they know all too well. And Luke tells us that after he'd said that, he went on ahead to Jerusalem, as if to say, you all can stay here and wait for what you know, the kind of worldly power that demands allegiance or else. Or you can come with me, and we'll do something different. We'll establish a new kind of kingdom, a new way of being in the world. Which brings us back to these two disciples, who did just what Jesus said, even though it was kind of nuts. These were two who'd obviously spent time in Jesus' presence. They are not just spectators; they are disciples. They're used to doing weird. They're used to Jesus doing weird things, rather. And, unexpected things they're used to hearing them say things that don't make any sense that go against the grain of all worldly reason like blessed are the poor and love your enemies and if you want to save your life you're going to have to lose it stop clinging to your life if you want real life pour yourself out for the world as god's making it and they've seen what happens when they do what he says right they've seen the fruit of his mission to be good news for the poor to set captives free and to give fresh sight to the blind and to those whose eyes have gone sinned him to the love of God, to release prisoners and reorder things to reflect God's favor, God's delight in this God-beloved world. They've seen what happens when they do what he says, and so they do what he says. They bring him a donkey, and he gets on the unsuspecting animal and reminds the crowds, reminds Jerusalem, God's holy city, what the king after God's heart will look like. He gets on the donkey and reminds them of the kingdom that is truly worth hoping in. It won't look like Herod manically grabbing at power. It won't look like Rome whose idea of peace is killing everyone who disagrees. It won't look like legions marching in with spears and shields, swords at the ready, war horses to intimidate. It'll look just like the prophet Zechariah said it would, like a king who comes humbly on a donkey, not in a chariot surrounded by warriors, but on a colt sung into the city by a gaggle of sinners and tax collectors, the sought out and the saved. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus is reminding the crowds, reminding us that our hope is not that God will establish another kingdom like the ones we're used to, but only nicer. But the kingdom of God is something altogether different. It's a whole new arrangement. And we who bear Jesus' name, who claim the name of the king who comes in the name of the Lord, need to pay attention. We need this reminder. Because all over the world we're seeing what happens when Christians fail to pay attention to Jesus. And instead of doing what he tells us, try to get him to do what we want. Make him live up to our expectations. I mean, the worst example is Christian nationalism, which is rampant these days and is a scourge on this world. A profound betrayal of the one who comes humbly Riding on a donkey. Whether it's Russia or the States or Africa or here at home, whenever we try to conform Jesus to our will and way, to our dreams for ourselves, we all end up, all we end up doing rather is replicating the kingdoms of death. It always ends in the same tired vision of a world in which might makes right, and whoever has the gold makes the rules, and whoever doesn't conform must be destroyed doesn't matter how many times we baptize our vision for the world, it will never be the kingdom of God. And of course that happens on the macro level, but it also happens on the micro level. It happens in our own lives. We're just easily tempted to believe that what we want and what God wants is invariably the same thing. And when Jesus shows up to say otherwise, I know that I can be right there with that clutch of Pharisees saying, gear down, big rig, don't rock that boat turn the donkey around. And yet by grace, like these two disciples who'd spent three years in his presence, the more time I spend with him, the more I think he might be right. (laughs) If we don't sing the kingdom, even the rocks will cry out. You know, I believe what I regularly say. Most weeks I say this, (laughs) even though I'm still trying to learn how to live it, that God is going to get the world that God wants. And our task, as those caught up with Christ, is to be weird enough in this world that we fit right in when it is as it will be. And our task is more and more to pay attention to the weird things he tells us to do and get in on this divine street theater, to remind and be reminded that there is something more, there is something other than what the Romes and the Herods of the world have to offer. And it may cause us some trouble, it probably will cause us some trouble. And the Pharisees who want Jesus to simmer down aren't just being sticks in the mud. Right? It's the, they have good reason to be worried. It's the Passover, which means big crowds, which means extra Roman soldiers, making sure nothing gets out of hand because Rome does not tolerate political unrest and someone or a group of people running around singing about a rival king is only going to end one way. Of course, it does end that way. We know that this parade is heading to the cross. The kingdoms of the world can't tolerate a king who seeks and saves the lost. We don't much want a king who won't grasp at power, but will empty himself out even for the sake of those who will scatter when things get serious. You know, but all that's coming yet, right? The drama and betrayal of Thursday is Jesus stoops down to wash the disciples' feet, even Judas's showing them their proper posture in the world. The devastation of Good Friday as hope for something else comes crashing to a halt and we see that this kingdom really is not of this world. The static of Saturday when everything seems to be lost. All that and quite a bit more is, is coming. But for today, I want to keep my eyes on these two disciples. Two among many whose only hope is that Jesus love for them will outlast their commitment to Him, but whose willingness to do weird things that Jesus tells us or tells them to do ought to shape our imaginations. Now when I want to pay attention to the fact that when they do what He tells them to do, we actually begin to catch a glimpse of the kingdom of God, of how it will be when God gets what God wants. Now because they do this holy errand, we get to see a multitude of disciples singing and praising God joyfully for all the deeds of power that they'd seen. We see singing and dancing in the face of violence and death, love songs drowning out the war trumpets. We see people who for a moment have an imagination of something else, something more, something holy and beautiful, something worthy of our song. Now, the philosopher Dallas Willard says that mostly what Christians should do is get together, listen to what Jesus says, and then go do that, <laughs> even if it's weird. Now, in our household, Kate and I often say that if it sounds crazy and you still have to do it, it's probably Jesus. As his followers were learning to recognize his voice amid all the competing noise, I and mean, that's the case for reading scripture, for praying regularly. We're showing up here week over week, year over year, because we're people learning to trust that when he tells us to do weird things, strange things like forgive relentlessly, be ridiculously generous, extravagantly concerned for all of the wrong people, to love our neighbors with everything we've got and to the end and then through it, to do whatever we do to embody the hope and peace and joy and love of God for this world. When he tells us to do these weird things, he is not asking us to do anything that he hasn't already done for us. When he tells us to do these weird things, to cause holy mischief, he's inviting us to embody the hope that is ours, that his name really is the one that will be above every name. He's inviting us to enter the joy of the crowns and know even for a moment that the kingdom of God is on the move and the gates of hell and death don't stand a chance. So blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. May it be so. Amen.